that stuff. Looks like third time's charm. Mmm. Three is a magic number. Hello and welcome to Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 57, Transporter 3 from 2008. I'm your host, Mike the Driver, and joining me today to conclude the epic three-episode crossover spectacular are the guys from Too Fast, Too Forever, Joey Lewandowski, and Joe Two. This is the end of the road for us and the Transporter series, but be sure to listen to the first episode on their feed for Too Fast, Too Forever, and then donate to their Patreon and get a bonus episode of Transporter 2. But today we must say goodbye to Frank and the Inspector and Black Cars and Burly Brawls and Sultry Ladies and leave the franchise behind in the rear view. However, before all that, make sure you got your Orangina, an extra set of clothes, and don't get too far from the car because it's time to transport. So here we are at the end of the road for this insane transporter crossover spectacular extravaganza. Pardon me. Extravaganza. It has started on Too Fast, Too Forever. It has continued on their Patreon site and it is concluding here on Third Time's a Charm. Transporter 3, please welcome to the show Too Fast, Too Forever hosts Joey Lewandowski and Joe Two. Welcome, guys. Hi, Mike. What's up? Thanks for coming along. Uh, not that you had much of a choice, but here we are. <laughs> the final one in our retrospective. And wow, some good stuff, some bad stuff. I feel like there's uh, at least enough to talk about to fill the hour, if not, you know, a good chunk of the episode. <laughs> so let's get going with some initial thoughts. Joey Lewandowski, the way things are going, you were good on the first one, kind of down on the second one. How are you feeling about this one? I like this one more than the second one. What? How? We'll get into it. I would go one, three, two. I think my ultimate where I wind up is you don't need to see any of these. <laughs> I will also tease for anybody who is listener to our show who has come over here. There is a theme coming up later this year that we're going to do this again, the same kind of three film crossover. And I've only seen one of the three of those, but I can tell you that I like that one more than any of these three by a mile. So when we get to that, I'm very excited for that. I was looking forward to the, at least the first two here. You know, I, I think it's fine. I think ultimately I'm going to remember these as like the same type of movie that Jason Statham always does, but somehow sort of specifically built around him or franchise. But I feel like you could throw a rock at a Jason Statham movie and get something that's similar to this, mm. sort of, you know? That's fair. Joe, too. How about you? How did this stack up? Riding the high of me actually really enjoying how zany the second one was, this one felt 
too serious for me. And you ask how I can enjoy this more than the second one. Come on, that's like my thing. That's my go-to. Don't give me fun. Give me drama. Yeah, it, it was more drama. The love story was like a little too much for me. It definitely at times felt like this was a James Bond movie. Joey, watching all the James Bond lately's, does that feel right or am I is my memory wrong? I think there are elements of Bond in all of these. For sure. There's a damsel that I'm saving, but then turns out like we're in like just like him holding her in his arms type situation is a very James Bondy type thing to me. It's also a very first The Transporter thing. Like it's the same kind of movie yeah. as the first one, right? So Yes, also true. So yeah, so I felt this one was a little too serious. In the same sense that Joey's like I, I would go like two, three, one in my ordering and how I like them. The first one is your least favorite. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow, 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 okay. We're all different because I'm 213. Yeah, see? There's a little bit of something for everyone, but like, I did like this one because it still was goofy, but it just, coming off of how goofy the second one was, I was like, oh man, I was hoping for more, you know, uh, fire hose battle scenes type situations. Yeah. Which we don't really get. No, not at all. Not in this one. Yeah, he only really has two big 10-man fights in this one. I was a little surprised. I kind of think I like them all relatively the same, though. Like, that's the weird thing about them. Like, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. They all kind of have, like, their ups and downs. This one definitely has, like, two or three moments that save it from sucking. You know, yeah. like, I don't, I don't hate this movie or anything, but I also feel like they just keep remaking the same movie. Yes. With, like, little different twerks and, and changes and things. And you could make one great Transporter movie out of all three of these Transporter movies. That's true. Picking and choosing the best parts and stuff. I did like the stuff about it, how we were talking in the last one, that that goes a little kind of off the rails, maybe a little campy. I liked how they were trying to get grounded back in this one. And I thought of you, Joey, because we get some cool tech in this one as a plot device. And that was something that I think... We were both sort of hoping for more of more weapons or something like we get a little taste of that in this as well. But like, I just feel like it has more shortcomings than the rest of the movies, uh, maybe in the production value or just uh, straight up like structure and uh, story and everything. I just started feeling just, I guess, a little tired of it because it is very same same throughout the entire series. Was this one made by someone different? Yes. Okay, because it totally felt like a tad different to me, for sure. That's why I was like, I thought it was made by someone different. I thought one of you mentioned that. So like, I don't know if I was remembering that or actually sensing that it was a little different. This was directed by the guy who did Taken 2 and Taken 3, as you call them, the good Takens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it wasn't that crazy, though. But Luc Besson's still involved because, like, these are his characters, and so he wrote this one and produced it, and so it's still part of that machine, I guess. Yeah, so we were looking in the first two. So this had a $30 million budget, which is actually less than the second movie. It made 108, 109, which is more than either of the first two movies. But most of that was made overseas. It only made 31 in the U.S., which is down from like 45 ah. for the second one. But the international is way up. So I think what you were saying, Mike, about it being a, like a foreign film or an international film or whatever, like it doesn't feel like the kind of thing where Fast and Furious is like, okay, let's get this pop star. Let's get this location. Let's get this. Let's get this act. We're going to throw them all in there and like these four countries now have a reason to see this movie, right? Like it doesn't feel like that. No. Like it still feels like the same as the first two, but somehow whether it's marketing, whether it's just distribution, whether it's just like, oh, it's the third one we should pay attention to it. This was really big, like made almost $80 million worldwide, like not in the US, like $80 million everywhere else. Like so on a $30 million budget from to make 
like 109 is great and to make most of that overseas is kind of wild yeah this is like entirely a statham vehicle pun intended because there's really no one else in here teabags in here I recognize the bad guy. Yeah. That's about it. You know, we don't have, like, Keith David walking in for a cameo or Matthew Modine. Like, there's no other American support. I mean, we didn't really get much of that in the first one either. We had Vince, who was an American actor. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, if you don't know him, if you don't know the Fast and Furious, you don't know Vince, I don't think, right? Like, that's... Yeah, what else was he in? Uh, was, didn't he... I feel like he did some show that we talked about, like, CSI. I'm saying CSI, it's not CSI, but, like, something along these lines. Matt Schultz is best known for the Fast and the Furious, the first two Blade movies, and the Transporter. He's never done any TV show to any extent. All right. One other thing, we've never even talked about this on our show. You know, obviously, he's in Fast Five. Spoilers for Fast Five, he gets killed in Fast Five. He is on IMDb, credited in Fast and Furious 6, parentheses, presumed, don't know what that means, parentheses, uncredited so i don't know what presumed is because he's dead in five i don't know unless they're like in the flashback a flashback that got cut yeah like in the opening montage i don't know what that is oh that's what it is yep you're right joey it would normally say like archive footage or, or whatever not presumed i don't know what presumed means like i know what it means i don't know what it means in terms of this so Luke Besson also discovered the lead actress in this movie on her way to work in New York City. So Natalia Rudakova. So she's new to the game and he paid for her acting lessons. He had to have her in this movie, I guess. I mean, she's fine. I mean, again, though, she's just she's the package. Like, I'm kind of tired of that. And they're really not interested in exploring any dynamics like of interest at all for me with their kind of drama stuff. Uh, they barely talk in the car and then she does drugs. But like she reminded me of a mix of the first of the of the girl from the first movie and the bad girl from the second movie yeah yeah it's the role in the first one and the actress in the second one basically right yeah pretty much yeah the package being the person thing for the third time in a row i'm with you mike like that was like okay like we got it like the package is the person because he's the chauffeur now i like more maybe if he had like they'll be talking about toxic waste and stuff in a minute but like if he was transporting like a toxic material or a bomb or what if he had to what if he was transporting a heart so it's in the trauma universe now i like that or like a heart transplant like that would be an amazing movie so you just want crank crossovers you know what this does which i really really liked is it kind of does what later john wick movies does mike or do is that it expands the universe because like we get malcolm the other transporter and like for whatever reason i was thinking like oh this is just statham like this is statham like he's a lone wolf or whatever but it feels like there is this network of transporters and he's maybe the best one or one of the best ones but there are other ones and i'm like that's really cool but you're right like he just keeps getting the same jobs over and over again because it would be cool if it was like you know the uber of of crime where it's like okay we need you to like do this body transport but also like do this money bag do this do that whatever do a heart transplant or whatever even stuff above board right grand theft auto yeah. kind of missions mm-hmm. maybe if we found out the inspector used to be a transporter Ooh. and like, when he was younger like it, that's the kind of stuff i agree with you joey i really like that moment in this movie and i wish there was a lot more of that i don't know maybe that's what the show goes into but i'm not gonna hold my breath or watch it that's why it makes sense that there is a tv show and there is is a new transporter with a different actor right because it's like hey yeah frank martin he exists like we don't have to like reset like it's not a reboot it's kind of a reboot but it's not like we're not starting from square one it's like you know all those things that all happened yeah. and that's we're not changing it like so like that 
is cool. Like, I, I still don't need a Continental TV series for John Wick. I, I don't care about that. But the fact that there's like, they, they lay the groundwork a little bit in here that they can go anywhere with the story is cool. I like that. Yeah, it, I wish they did it last movie so that this movie, maybe they could run with it and yeah. open it up yeah. a bit yeah. deeper and, and a lot more like that. Because this movie also ends like the first one does where Joe is sort of surprised. It's just, it's like a happy ending. Like the second one is the only one that ends with like a, what's next? It's like, this is just like, this like is the end for, I guess, whether they knew it or not. I think they knew it. They're going to have a fishing show. Yeah, it feels like they knew it. There was, and yeah, you're right, Mike. There's a lot of fishing in this one too. A lot of fishing. Yeah, it's hard to say because on one end, it feels kind of like an obligation or like we've had a contract for three of these, like let's squeeze one out. But then on the other hand, it's like the more we're talking about it, it seems like they're like, this is our chance to keep going. In my head, I'm still sort of split down the middle on this. Well, you know what I really am not split down the middle on? Because I was just like, okay, so this movie starts... And what you were, I think what you were saying before, Mike, about the tech is that they do a thing in this movie where I'm like, this is everything I wanted because my complaint for the first two, especially the second one, is they don't focus on the cool stuff enough, right? Okay, yeah. So here they kidnap Statham, they abduct Statham, they put this bracelet on his wrist, they put a tracker in his car. And it's like, if you get further than like 75 feet from the car, you explode. Fuck yeah. Like, okay, so now he is bound to his car. He cannot leave his car. This is going to be a movie of driving scenes. And I'm like, this is everything I wanted from the first two movies. And then the movie's like, nope, going to be like a casual drive through the countryside. <laughs> and there's one, like the best scene in the movie is when he gets fired. And there's the line from Teabag, quote, in the words of the great American Donald Trump, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but you're fired. Even using the great American, right? Like using those words. And they fire, quote unquote, fire Statham, which just means that they have another driver take the car. Then if he drives more than 75 feet away, Statham's going to blow up. So the best scene in the movie, I think, not even close, is him chasing after the car because that's literally life or death. On a BMX bike. That rules. And then other than that, they don't do a single thing until the very, very end that puts the bracelet in any kind of use. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, without knowing it, this is the idea I wanted. Now, as soon as they said it, I'm like, yes, 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 let's do it. And then nothing. So, Joey, I've got a movie for you. 1991's Wedlock with Rudger Hauer and Mimi Rogers. Okay. They're put in prison, and you don't know it at first, but everyone's got a collar on, and if you get too far from your certain inmate, each of your heads explode, and they find out that they're linked to each other and go on the run, and the whole movie is them trying not to get more than, like, Hell yeah. 100 yards apart from each other. The tagline for that, just really quick, is, it'll blow your mind, which rules, oh. so I'm already on board. But keep, <laughs> please keep going. I thought of that immediately when this movie popped up and it's in the imdb trivia apparently they are fans of the movie too because that's why it's in the movie and it's i mean it's one of the greatest plot devices i feel like you know you could come up with for something like this and it's a shock that they don't play with it way more you know i'm shocked i'm shocked that like when he's fighting the hulk basically at one point in this movie and he's thrown through a brick wall that like the beep doesn't go off or anything you know yeah. I, I was kind of bummed but again like very awesome sequence they do have and great idea in uh, keeping him close to the car and everything I agree yeah the only other thing that like they even like tease is when she's in the convenience store and she's like oh I can't go to the bathroom it's too far away I'm just gonna pop a squat on the floor it's like that's what you're using with the technology for like a joke like she's gonna pee just on the floor that's what you're okay yeah that's the other thing is they both have the bracelet on and they still don't do more I feel like she doesn't even really need the bracelet so much like she doesn't have much of of an option i'm not even sure why 
she needs to be transported in the first place if he's just delivering her back to the bad guys at the end. Can you okay, can can one of you please uh, explain the plot to me? It's it's my show. I'll take this bullet. And I was Wait, trying I, to... I want to know cuz Joe groaned. Joe, what do you think it is? Cuz I like I'm not I'm not trying to blow up your spot here. No, no, please. This is fun. I had to look on Wiki because I don't know that the movie explained it until the end. I don't know. I think is that there's a group of bad guys that hired Teabag because they want to just pollute everything. Call him because he's from Prison Break. He plays okay. Teabag yeah, in Prison sorry, Break. Yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so they hire Teabag to make sure that the Ukrainian prime minister signs this pollution thing that lets them pollute everywhere, and he kidnaps his daughter to make sure he signs. As blackmail. Yeah, that's it. That's remarkable. I totally forgot about her giant Ukrainian versus Russia speech at the end of this. Very timely. Very timely. Yeah. Uh, I think Teabag is an EPA agent. He's like Walter Peck from Ghostbusters. Is he? I think he's faking. I agree. I'm with Joey. I think he's faking. That's just like a ruse. Okay. They never say. I mean, I was like, all right, he's just a corrupt EPA agent and he's disposing of toxic waste and they're kidnapping this ambassador's daughter to get him to sign some accord, but they need to keep her like moving. That's what confused me. No, they're just saying she's kidnapped and by moving her around, he can't just like send the Ukrainian FBI to go find her, right? But, But he sends guys anyway and finds her that Jason Statham beats the shit out of with a bus that he drives between on two wheels. Ah, yeah, that's right. He ends up sending a gang after him anyway, and he does that incredible, impossible, apparently not CGI trick with the double wheelie thing. I was just more confused because he re-delivers her at the end to the guys, and it was almost like, you know, thanks for just driving her across the border. I want to share one of my favorite pieces of trivia that I found on IMDb in a while, because I read it before I saw the movie. I'm like, this is going to be cool. I'm very excited for this. And it has to do with Teabag. So Robert Nepper was inspired by Ernest Hemingway to create his character's look and even created a whole backstory for himself. He imagined Johnson to have grown up in a typical small American town to have graduated from prestigious universities like Yale or Harvard, to be highly cultured and sophisticated and truly believe what he was doing was the right thing for his country and the world. And the director also asked him to draw inspiration from Kiefer Sutherland's performance in Phone Booth. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like he's going to go like be big and ballsy and bold and Ernest Hemingway. He's just in black clothes the entire movie. Like it just, it's the most like muted. Yeah, he looks like a European bad guy. It's just like, what? He's uh, he's the thinnest one we've got so far. I mean, did he lose any weight for the role? Because the guy is like a skeleton. Uh, nah, he kind of looks like that. I would have preferred like a big burly kingpin type dude in this one that could actually beat the shit out of Jason Statham at the end. And he had to crash a car into him to kill him or something, you know, and like he just keeps finding these bad guys and kicking their ass so easily that like it's very frustrating. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't fight through the entire video game just to like kind of waltz past bowser i mean i guess you do bad example (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't have had a problem with that mike until you just pointed it out but you're right now we're on the third movie where like the big bad is like the easiest guy that he fights and it's just like okay you're obviously no match for jason statham but that's also that's normal i think that's most movies usually like the second movie is disappointment because he's established as this martial artist guy but like robert nepper like teabag is just like like a villainous rat kind of that that's where the bond stuff really hits me with this series because bond villains could never hold their own either against james bond they always had odd job in so on right and this guy and you know i'll throw my razors at you kind of people and and like a whole bunch of 
henchmen and stuff. So like I could get that from the Bond side, but like Bond is still going on and doing its thing, like try and branch out and do something more. It would have been a cool surprise if this guy pulled out some kind of tech or something towards the end and really kind of got the upper hand for a while. And, you know, maybe the woman had to like jump in and, and save the day. Then Jason Statham could like have a reason to fall in love with her. I guess that's the plot. I want to talk about the garage fight scene because that's very applicable to us. For multiple reasons, yeah, for sure. For multiple reasons, but I wanted to hear what Joey thought about this garage fight scene versus, you know, the ones we see in Fast and the Furious. Oh, okay. I thought you were say compared to the other ones in this franchise, because, like, it felt like, oh, yeah, Statham's fighting another five or six dudes, like... No, no, I, that that too, but I'm saying specifically, like, him fighting in a garage, dropping the car versus dropping an engine. What I also liked was him, like, lying down on, like, the lifts or whatever, where the car, like, goes up, and, like, he uses that as, like, the barrier to defend against like the barrel is going to drop them like there's cool stuff here i feel like it's sort of reminiscent of like you know hobbs versus dom right in five mm-hmm. like exactly. there's stuff here that's similar i think fast and furious does it better also like i'm just more inclined to like that more but i think this was a pretty cool at least specifically for us use of that scene scenery set piece yeah i was excited to see them do a fight in a garage for that reason because of the familiarity and because it would be such an easy comparison in my brain and i did like the car drop from the lift to squash those guys i like that he actually went through with it and didn't like stop it with the chain like dom does a couple times Mm -hmm. in the movies (laughs) yeah that was pretty brutal because these movies are all bloodless i don't know it took me three to realize that there's no gore in any of this stuff I think it was a PG-13 of it all. That's true. You hear cracks and screams, and he even leaves a bunch of people alive in this. That's why I was shocked that he dropped that car on a bunch of dudes. <laughs> yeah, but you just see their feet, so it's like, there's no blood. It's just like splat. Yeah, it's Wizard of Oz-esque. This movie has something, now that we're talking about like the fight stuff, I don't know if I've ever seen this in another movie before, so I have to give this movie that credit if it's true. Um, there's a flashback fight? Oh yeah, that's right! He has a flashback where he's like turning down the offer and and suggests Malcolm, and then he has yep. to fight his way out of the flashback. I was like, why? I, I think, again, it's the thing where like, this is an action movie. He's in the world of crime. The entire thing, there should be no shortage of like action scenes. And yet these writers are just like, I can't come up with a reason to fight in present day. So like, let's flash back to a fight. Like, that seems kind of fun. Like, let's explain. Like, you don't need that fight. I don't know. It's, it's wild. Lazy. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I agree with that. It, when they did the flashback and then it became a fight, I was like, why? Why did they need to do this? I think objectively it's kind of funny because it's like there's no need to do it. But like in the moment, you're like, wait, what? Hold on. All the flashback needs to show is that he was at a meeting. He's like, hey, I, I think you should do Malcolm. And they're like, we don't want Malcolm. We want you or whatever. Right. Like you don't need to have a fight. Start the movie with that scene have the opening credits and then go into where we start with is finding the toxic waste and then introducing Malcolm in the in the girl because I was like I was so confused until they connected as and, and then you find out oh that was his driver friend and I was like all right as just sort of like an ignorant American it just bothered me that uh we we're in Bucharest and Budapest in this movie Mike, and like do you remember <laughs> do you a movie do you know a movie that that this happened in a movie that I love that I think you really like also. Oh. What is to, it? You have to remind me. Charlie Countryman with Shia LaBeouf, right? His mom dies and he's like, he's like, I'm going to Bucharest. And the people are like, don't you mean Budapest? And he's like, no, I mean Bucharest. 
because everybody's like, you don't want to go to Bucharest. You want to go to Budapest. Like, Budapest is the cooler place. They're like, he's like, no, my mom told me to go to Bucharest. Here, they go to both places. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, I know the names are similar, but I've never seen a movie go to both places. And I don't know that Charlie Countryman goes to both places, but that's like the, the main through line for the first act is that he's going to this like sort of like less cool, weirder place, like not for tourists. When everybody's just like, you're grieving. Shouldn't you go to like the cool place and have fun? He's like, no, man, my mom wanted me to go to Bucharest. So the fact that this movie went to both places wild that's a terrific movie love that movie got to rewatch that soon and it's that also oh my god i remember mads mickelson being in that and evan rachel wood obviously from westworld but also joe aubrey plaza in it and someone i did not know at the time when we watched it vanessa kirby in the movie oh Oh, that's a pretty deep cast there. It rules. And and Shia is so good in it. When did it come out? Is it like, I'm assuming on the newer edge, right? 2013. No, in the middle of his career. Oh, weird. Okay. It was one that I saw and I was like, I really like this movie, but like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, who's seen this? And then when we did all his movies for Shia, Mike and I finally watched it and it was, it was good. I, I like this movie a lot. That sounds cool. I'm down. I remember it being very emotional and very beautiful to look at, too. So good stuff in there. Also with the Budapest, I, I couldn't stop thinking of Black Widow all going through in my head. I just said, you're such a poser. You're such a poser. <laughs> it's just like I can't get her voice out of my head. <laughs> I'm so glad she stole that whole movie. That was really awesome. Oh, and it made me think of the chase in that movie because I thought it was cool because of how sort of tight the roads are in that country. And I, I would assume a lot of foreign countries have yeah. like these crazy old one-way streets that twirl and twist and it's just like why would you ever want to drive a car down one of those roads just like casually let alone like have to jason born it every once in a while seeing where they drive cars in italy is mind-blowing like it's not it should never have had cars right and they just like drive the cars down these like really tight like windy one ways I, I always think it's a great set piece mike i agree with you he goes off track and we visit one of his friends, Otto the Mechanic, which isn't exactly very original, but... I mean, Mike, you know you know, Otto the Otto the Mechanic, Otto the whatever, like, it's just, it's kind of gone in 60 seconds. Yeah, he's Otto in that, That was too. your dream, remember? Otto, a car guy, right? That's true. I guess you're right. It's not original. It's just like, what, what sounds like cars? Otto. Okay, got it. Otto in Fast and the Furious, too. I wish he had a name tag and it was spelled A-U-T-O instead or something yeah, like that. And cool. then we'll be the girl could look at it and he'd be like, yeah, for real. You know, like, that's my name. <laughs> that kind of thing. I thought they was going to set him up as this guy in the chair because the first two movies we had the inspector. But in this one, the inspector, which we haven't really mentioned yet, is kind of like chasing down Frank, but also kind of trying to keep them off his tail would you say i'm not sure exactly but i would have rather had going back to auto throughout the movie and him be the hacker i didn't think he was trying to keep him off his tail i thought that he was trying to have guys ready for him at some point is what it was like whenever he had the end destination he would have the cops there to like save them but he never knows where he's like his final destination is so that's why they have to like keep in contact and he's like trying to like follow him like follow along but like to catch the actual bad guy he needs to know where they are at the end okay so they're sort of working together and i would assume the bad guys are not they don't give a crap that the police might be involved at this point or <laughs> uh, it's really not gonna matter i guess as long as the papers are signed yeah all right there's definitely like two other sequences in this movie that I couldn't believe but I think next up is that bike scene and like it is amazing it reminds me of a level in Tony Hawk it makes me wish that this happened like you know one or two more times in in a different way but definitely the standout part of the movie I feel 
For sure. For me too. Just seeing Statham or anybody, you know, a stuntman playing Statham on a mountain bike trying to chase down the car, I thought was really cool. I'm with Joey that this was like an interesting use of you have to chase the car to not blow up with the wristband on situation that we should have seen more of. Again, it feels like we were talking about last time that like, you know, it's hard to have cool original ideas. So like they try to do six different things. And, like, one of them hits. But it's hard. It's hard to be creative like that, I think. So I don't know if they needed a bigger writing team with more people with goofy ideas or what. But, yes, this one definitely, definitely works. This would be amazing if all the coolest parts of all three movies were in one movie. It would be such an amazing movie. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Like, the fire hose, the bike. Can someone re-edit it and, like, recolor time it so that it looks like it was all done under one production or something? I mean, the stakes would be lower, but you could put this in a movie where he doesn't have the bracelet, right? Like, you could just be like, there's a package in the car he has to deliver, and somebody yeah. steals, like, even just like, it doesn't have to be like somebody who's replacing him at the job, but like, just like some car thief steals the car while he's buying an oh, orange yeah. and he has to chase after it, right? Like, you could use like <laughs> 95% of the motivation here in any other movie. Like, you can just take, again, like you're saying, the best parts of everything and not be like, oh no, but we have to have the thing with the bracelet. Like, no, no. you don't. Like, it's, it adds stakes here, but like, there are other ways you could in- easily increase the stakes in the world of the transporter like if she got kicked out of the car halfway through the race and he had to pick her up and they both had to be on the same bike and get back to the car because she's got a bomb on her too like i hear you're saying like i, I want a scene now that needs the bracelet you have to have an action scene that like you can't live without it. um and like this one is starting to feel like it can but it's still cool nonetheless and also like i didn't i'm not a, especially a fan of the way any of these movies have been cut um, or shot per se, but I think it works in this sequence very well. Like it adds that kinetic energy and power you need. And I believe that he can catch up to a car on a bicycle uh, going through like all the buildings and, and shortcuts. And Oh, on that note, there is one thing in here that I noticed that we I was complaining about, I think in the first one, maybe, but when he's fighting the huge guy that you think when he called the Hulk, he's punching him in a way and like it's, it's cut in a way that looks cool and it's mixed in a way that feels like the punches are landing. Like that fight scene felt, we talked about it before, like in the garage, like it felt like there was actual weight and heft and force behind the punches. And like, that's something I think was missing at least from the first movie. I don't really remember the second one as much, but like, I think we were complaining about it. Or I was complaining about it in the first one where it's just like, I, it doesn't feel like he's hitting with any force. And here it really truly felt like it did. And I, I appreciated that about it. it was on that note too, did this one feel like the fight scenes themselves were a little bit sped up? up to make it feel like that to you it felt like this one the fight scenes had like a little bit more speed to them the thing i was thinking about that because i i was noticing a difference i have a feeling it might have been statham being like look these fight scenes are like killing me <laughs> like can we just sort of do less of them but better and make them just like have more energy and and show more impact and that like can we just focus a little more and i also think like uh, him being three movies deep and all the other action stuff he's been into he's just better at this stuff too mm. so he's probably a lot quicker and 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 all that kind of thing knows how to sell it better and probably does more of his own things because i, I have a feeling like without him going full jackie chan in this with like fire hoses and chains or whatever he can do more of his own stuff and show off more and it and it feels a little more grounded in that respect as well which i kind of like too like as much as i love the crazy weapons and things i don't know like i 
I want to see him get knocked down a couple times. You know, I want to see him get bested, and I feel like we don't really ever really get that, but we get closer to it in this with the setup of, you know, he's more of a brawler this time around, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, there there was trivia on IMDb about at least the first one, if not the first two, that I didn't see for this one, that Statham did all of his own stunts. I don't know which, because you said a couple different things there, Mike, that like might influence why, whether if Statham didn't do all the things here, maybe he's tired, maybe it's just more, maybe it's more demanding, maybe it's just accumulation over the years. I don't know, but like, I would like to see him there's only a certain amount of movies you can watch with your guy where like he's bulletproof, right? Like it's just, it's boring. I like seeing Dom fight a guy bigger than him. Like Dom's never going to lose. We understand that. We understand that Dom will win every race, that Dom will win every fight, that Dom will save the day every time in the Fast and Furious. But when he fights Hobbs, who's bigger than him, he'll kick his ass. Or he'll fight Jacob, who will kick his ass. But then eventually Dom will win. So like you need some kind of speed bump as opposed to just like this guy is the best driver and the best fighter and the best spy. It's just like yeah okay cool like and then what i hear you yeah it gets a little it gets a little hard to not root for him but to feel the stakes or drama or feel like anything's gonna happen and then it just the yeah, ad ends up taking me out of it what what did y'all think of the ecstasy sequence i have no idea why that happened and as an avid dabbler in the uh unspoken i was like being in a car and taking a bunch of ecstasy sounds like just not a fun idea like with jason statham being grumpy at you driving you i don't think it would be a good experience so like that was what i was hung up on watching that i was just like oh god that seems like the worst place for this like i can't go further away than the car like this is not can do like he doesn't want music on like this just sounds like a miserable miserable time to do drugs for me so this movie is about 25 minutes longer maybe than the other two that just feels like cut 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 all that stuff cut it out like we don't need any of that and any of the stuff where she's like you don't like girls you don't like boys like what is this is that and like we must have our last sex before we die like i don't want any of this in the movie it really just like sidetracks everything for me dude that strip tease scene is like it was really hard to sit through that was like my biggest gripe about this movie i was like why do we have to do this so like i i was hoping for maybe not hoping but like i would have liked a scene similar to that because of all of the movies that like you know objectify women it would be great to have a movie that objectified a man in the same way and sure jason statham is like a specimen you know so like he'd be the perfect sort of example i guess of the quote-unquote like you know, buxom girl centerfold or whatever. Like, so I liked the idea maybe of that scene, but very sort of poorly done in every way. But she's not sober too. So like he's then kind of taking advantage of her, right? I mean, because like the whole thing from the very beginning, she's like swooning over him, right? Like it's not the first time she's seen him. And I guess like I understand it. And I do like that he is objectified to a certain extent, but like we don't need as much of it as we are. Like I almost wonder, and I, there's nothing to back this up, that like if Luke Besson was just like smitten by her, like not even like sexually or like romantically, just like I think she's great. I found her as a hairdresser. I wanted her to be an actor. We want, I want more of her in the movie. And people are like, why? Yeah. I hear that. I mean, she her character looks a lot like La Femme Nikita and those kinds of things that he's done before, like Lilu. And, you know, like when I think of like Luke Besson heroines, like she fits the mold sort of perfectly as far as style goes and everything. So uh, I could see that. He's got a type. Yeah. So the bridge sequence. There's a moment in the movie where he meets up with the bad guys to deliver the woman and mm-hmm. it's at a bridge and they take off her bracelet. So 
He's got nowhere to go, so he drives the car off the bridge into the lake. Yep. After that part of it, which is so stupid and wacky, and it's like now the car's going to sink and he can't leave the car, so if the car sinks, he blows up. One of the coolest things, this is like another awesome transporter moment that I'm like, why has no other movie done this? He takes the bags from the trunk and then deflates his tires into the bag to give himself an air pocket. And I was like, that is so fucking cool. Just when I thought I was out, you pull me right back in with this stupid bridge thing. But then I was like, okay, if you were doing that as a vehicle to get to the bottom to where you could deflate the tires into a bag and have them breathe the air from the tires cool i'll take it well it's not even just that it's that and also using this like a flotation device to bring the car to the surface because like he could swim up but he needs to be close to the car and i don't know if that would work maybe i don't i mean it's a pretty big like raft or flotation device or whatever right but like the fact that he's using like i thought he was just creating like sort of like a sonic the hedgehog little bubble like an air bubble underneath that he could like breathe until the detective showed up or whatever but no he like he surfaces the car i'm like this is really cool after after teabag has the quote his beloved car will be his grave he leaves it he blows he stays he drowns let's get out of here just like all right man yes I loved it as a kind of callback to the one movie where he is underwater and he draws a breath from the dead guy to catch his breath. Like, it's sort of the same kind of sequence. Okay, new idea. All these movies take place 100% underwater. That's where all their best ideas are. Let's have an underwater scene. Like, a, just an entire movie, I mean. Underwater movie. Well, maybe Transporters from Atlantis. Um, I was not, I mean, I had seen this movie before, you know, um, a hundred, hundreds of movies ago, but I did, I did not expect that to happen. Like, that's just another one of those moments where it's just like in every movie, something's going to happen that you've not seen before, whether or not like everything else is good is a different story, but like, you're going to see some weird shit in a transporter movie. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah, something new, at least. You would think in another movie that might be the coup de gras and like the credits roll over him being pulled out of the lake, actually like having saved the woman after killing everyone on the bridge but they get to a train first he unwaterlogs a car that's been sitting in a lake with two wrenches pretty much immediately okay like the car is completely submerged in water two wrenches he's good the car now drives again so that that was just need to be established before we get to, to the train part yeah but you know because they wrote themselves into the corner where they're like he has to stay in that car it, you know it would have been great if Otto showed up with some kind of device to get the bracelet off of him and was like, you know, Frank, use this as last resort, like put on bad guy or whatever. I don't know. It could get the audience thinking, oh, he's got the bracelet <laughs> off him, but he could pretend he still got it on. So there could have been that moment where like it's beeping and he's like, you can't get any closer to me, Frank. One more step. And then he takes that step and like takes the bracelet Ooh. off. But I don't know. We do get this crazy train sequence which according to imdb the all the car stunts were performed in real time without models and okay little to no cgi so i think this had little to no cgi in the train sequence some i would say some cgi probably but yeah i think it's, it's mostly practical which is cool i think you can tell because i think one of my big issues with the second movie is that it looked like shit like the digital film they used or the digital just like looked yellow and bad this looked better from the jump and i was on board with that and then the cgi like there's the explosion where i think it's, the car goes off the cliff the car goes off the cliff yeah in here when no it's earlier it's earlier when he after he delivers like there's a, there's a car that explodes and it looks good and i was like oh yeah right before there's a chase scene we didn't really talk about where he's getting chased and he drives between those two semis at the 45 degree angle which is pretty cool and the car that's 
in pursuit has to has to avoid the jackknifed semi which he does but then he just crashes into a ravine and like that explodes like what seems to be like an actual explosion maybe it's cgi if it's cgi it's much better than the second one because the second one was just like this is terrible like terrible (laughs) which i loved i loved it so much this one was better, right? So, like, there's stuff here that, like, is definitely, like, you can tell that they're doing things right. Yeah, absolutely. And I still love that, you know, two cars crashed into each other and they explode in an enormous fireball. <laughs> Just Simpsons physics prevail. I, I love that about it all, too. Because, believe it or not, I do love that in movies because it really kind of raises stakes in a weird way. Like, if you get into an accident, you're going to explode. Like, you only get one heart like in a video game or something. But yeah, so I, well, what ha- ends up happening in this final sequence is that Transporter chases them down and finds out where the train is. He gets on the bridge before the train goes through the tunnel. He revs his engine and he hops the car onto the top of the train. But he takes his sweet ass time. Like, why did he wait so long there? Did you see that too? He was waiting till the end, right? Like, yeah, I noticed that too. Why did he jump on the end of it? I don't, I don't, I didn't understand that. I was like pretty grumpy about it. Like he sees the train coming in his rear view. He's like, okay, cool. And I'm like, cool. So he's just like lining it up so he can go. But he like waits, lets the whole train pass him and then like barely makes it onto the end of the train. Maybe he did that because if he parked in the middle, he wouldn't get too far from the car and his braces wouldn't beep. So they might've, the writers might've had to like reconstruct that backwards to be like oh he's landed on right in the middle of the train and then at the end it's like but he's not beeping he needs to start beeping he's got to go back for the car you know jump it one more time but you know this is just i for me this was just i was you know not that i was like checked out or anything but i, I was really kind of just like okay how many more guys do i have to see him beat up apparently like five or six um <laughs> but yeah we're on a train instead of an airplane at the end here dealing with the bad guy well, what I don't understand about this is, like, the bracelets are going to come into play, right? Because the state of the bracelet says, like, like we haven't seen a bracelet explode since Malcolm the beginning. And it feels a little bit like Chekhov's gun. Like, we're going to, there's so many bracelets in the movie, somebody's going to explode. So he, he gets his bracelet off, and he bracelets teabag, and he ties him to the car, and he slams in the reverse. He, like, you know, puts the car in reverse and, like, sends it off the train, right? But teabag unties himself from the car, but knows he's in the bracelet and understands how the bracelet works. And so instead of, like, taking his chances to see if he would survive, escape, out the back of the train in a car, he just chooses to get blown up? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I had the same thought process as you, Joey, but I then I was like, oh, the character's, like, panicking. Like, maybe he's just, his mind isn't working. I mean, that's just, could be bad writing, too, probably. I'm just trying to, you know, make it work for myself. But I was thinking the same thing. And then I was thinking, it was it's funny that, like, doesn't he realize he's going to be too far away? And, and again, I was bummed that he blows up like a car and not just, like, a bloodbath or something like that. I was like, he would just pop, right? <laughs> <laughs> he should just boom. But no, he blows up the rest of the train with him. Yeah, the explosion thing kind of threw me too because I was like, it felt like the small wristband, like you would just blow off your hand type situation. Yeah, yeah, like Cage in that last movie. Um, you know, he had like little bombs all over him in Prisoners of Ghost Town. And, you know, he would like they'd blow off your your hand or your foot or your balls or something, but like wouldn't blow your entire body apart. Yeah, like, how much explosions are actually in that thing, right? It's not like, it's, it's, I mean, it's a chunky bracelet. It's a chonky bracelet, but, like... Yeah, because Malcolm exploded in a ambulance. So I just chalked it up to the ambulance exploded because something went off inside of it. Not that the explosion was actually all from the bracelet, which it, I guess it was. 
Yeah, I don't know. I just was like, physically, I was wondering how you get that much explosive in that small of a package. It appeared to be, there's another, what is this, help me guys, because the sort of technology of the bomb, from what I can understand, is like, one liquid goes in, and the timer starts, and then the other liquid goes, and then the rest of the timer starts, and then when they connect, it explodes. What was that, was that in, wasn't that in like, another movie? Oh, I think I know. I think it was Die Hard 3. Didn't Die Hard 3 come up during Transporter? It did because we were playing the letterbox game and that was Die Hard with a Vengeance was one. But, oh, yeah. weird. Okay. So yes, but also largely no. Sorry about that. No, you're good. You're good. I just knew I had seen that kind of idea before as well. And so this guy was watching Wedlock and Die Hard one weekend and said, hey, I got a <laughs> deadline gotta write this transporter movie in the end the very confusing and very unattention paid to subplot with the toxic waste on the tanker which again another another kind of device i guess luke basson really likes these shipping containers because he was shipping people in the first one and they're shipping toxic waste in this one. Oh, that's true i forgot about the shipping containers in the first one with the people that's right Yes. But in the end, they're all happily ever after. As you mentioned earlier, Joey, this one just kind of ends with a big rainbow where uh, Frank and Valentina and the inspector are all fishing. Yep. There was a lot of fishing in this one. Yep. Yeah, he's watching fishing on television. Yeah, that, that one really sent me. But the, the, like, it, it doesn't feel of character for him to enjoy fishing. I could see some other things, like maybe they're like hunting or something, but like fishing seems like so slow paced for his whole life being a transporter. I guess that's the joke, but it also just didn't fit for me. I thought in the beginning when they were fishing, he was going to cheat and put like an explosive in the water or something. <laughs> like I thought that's what he was doing, but that didn't end up being the case at all. Anything else you guys want to mention that we haven't talked about before we get on out of here? He's in an Audi again. Like he was in an Audi, what, the first movie, Joe? And then he was in a Benz, the second movie? No, BMW. Or BMW? BMW, then Audi, Audi again this time. Yeah. Oh, Audi, the second and the third one. Okay. Yes. I was like, it opens and he almost has transporter sense, like a weird spidey sense situation. And I was like, are they going to give him like a, like, you know, like a tingle when like another transporter's doing something in this one? But they didn't. Yeah, I guess he turned down the job because he owed his buddy a vacation. So they're hanging out fishing but then they're fishing in front of his house so i was just all kinds of confused about that kind of thing like but that's like the whole series for me basically is like i never really feel like they can figure out what to do between the action set pieces because they keep trying to refine it every movie you know it just never quite gets there entirely I like that. I think that there's a lot to love in pieces in these movies all together and through a single movie. I don't think any of them are great. I can see why people like them. They're kind of brain mushy, but there is like parts of these that are things that like the, all the things we talk about that you've never seen before. Those things did get me excited in each one. So like I can't hate on these movies for sure. I don't think I'm ever going to watch any of these again. I think if I were going to watch one again, it would probably be the first one. But, like, there's just so many other movies, especially, like, we were talking about in the first one a little bit. It's been 20 years since the first. It's been 17 since the second. It's been 14 since the third. There's just so many other movies. Like, not that these are the worst movies, that they're bad, that they're un... Like, there's good stuff, like you were saying, Joe, in all of them. But there's just better stuff to watch. What I really kind of liked about it is the way we discovered that 
a lot of this stuff was done better in Fast and Furious movies, you know, like uh, like yeah. like the McTwist bomb coming off kind of stuff and all those things are building jumping and, you know, I don't think they, they jumped onto a boat, but they haven't jumped onto a train yet, but I could see them executing it visually way better than this. I mean, they jumped out of a freaking airplane for crying out loud and it looked spectacular, right? So And they had the train scene. They they jumped off the train, right? Right. They did jump off a train. They jumped in, in front of a train, out of a train, like one in yes. five and there's other ones, right? So that this train's all over the place. Totally true. Yeah. And then but that you're right, that train sequence when they end up jumping off the the bridge or the cavern it's like incredible like yeah so i yeah so for me i don't think i'd ever rewatch them again i'm not upset that that i watched them i had a great time talking about them with you guys and yeah like discovering those just like what the hell moments i think it's fun because like now you could be like oh like have you seen like the jet ski moment in train spotting 2 <laughs> not train spotting 2 transporter 2 train spotting 2 different movie altogether a lot more heroin in that movie Oh man, I slipped and said train spotting when I was talking about it last night too. So, uh, transporter too. All right, guys, I think that comes to the end of our crossover spectacular. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you for having us, Mike. This was fun. I'm glad that we did watch these. For not having watched them, I'm glad that like now I've at least checked them, checked the boxes. You too, Joey. Do you feel at least that way? I agree. Yes. Okay. Cool. Thank you guys for having me on two of your episodes where you only had to endure one of mine. Um, so thank you very much for having me on. It's It's been a blast. And if any of your listeners have come over, thank you for listening and coming by and try and check out some other episodes. And I appreciate the crossover effect. Uh, but would you like to tell my listener about uh, where they can find you online aside from here? Yeah, you can find us on everything at Too Fast Too Forever. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. TooFastTooForever.com is where the patron is. TooFastTooForever.shop is the store if you want to buy some stickers or a t-shirt. Actually, we have some cool new t-shirt ideas coming up soon. If you find us anywhere, we'll fucking respond. So just, you know, talk and send us a message and we'll we'll respond to you. So Alright. Sounds great. Thank you very much and I'll see you guys later. Thank you, Mike. going to do it for another spectacular crossover event. Must thank my friends from Too Fast Too Forever, Joey and Joe Too, and be sure to check out their show and all of their other back episodes at cageclub.me. Also be sure to donate to their Patreon and get extra episodes, such as the Transporter 2 episode. Finish the collection. Be sure to head on over to cageclub.me to hear The Monsters That Made Us, my other wildly more popular show I co-host with The Invisible Dan Cologne. It's the last Friday of every month, and we're going through the original Universal Monster movies one by one. Right now, you can hear our episode of Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Also, I do many shows with Joey Lewandowski, such as the titular Cage Club and Keanu Club and Tom Tom Club and so much more. All that can be found at cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, and at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Write to me at T-H-R-E-E, that's three at cageclub.me, and find this show wherever the tubes of the internet take you. And until next time... Three, 
That's a magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three, three may stub it me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean?